Jumbo, everyone. Harambe. And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our Way, Way Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's that time of week again. My name is Kevin. And my name is Danny. And Danny, here we are again, man. I've been, I've been itching for this day to come ever since we recorded our last show. Because just a lot's happened, and I've been wanting, I've been itching to talk about it. And I'm glad you sound a lot more awake than last time. I know, I know. I'm sounding pretty good. You don't uh, smell nothing. No, no, no smell. Band camps are over. I am relaxed. I am, you know, I, I, I've gotten caught up on my rest. Things are good. Things are busy again, though, because you know, you know, you're moving in early in the year, and I'm getting ready to try to buy and sell a house, on all at the same time. So we'll see what that happens in the next few weeks or so. That is a hellish process that I don't wish on my worst enemy, but good luck. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I've been excited since last week because, man, I, I, we had the topic picked uh, since last week, ever since it came out. You know, we're dealing for, uh, you know, just a, I'm not going to really tease it. I'm going to just let everybody know we're, we're dealing with the Pixar theory today. And since you've been uh, so good enough for the past two shows to cover a lot of the main content, I decided I'll take on this show uh, both from mostly the Q side, and but a lot of the hub side as well. So just to kind of give yourself a little week off, enjoy whatever you got to do. I I watched TV for, for the first time in a while. Oh, isn't that awesome? Yeah. What would you yeah. watch, just out of curiosity? Oh, man, I caught up on The League. The League? The League. It's a sh- fancy football sitcom type oh, show. Okay. that they I got gotcha. you. Uh, interestingly enough, the guy uh, in there... Uh, was two years the main the main guy on the show yeah. it was two years uh, ahead of us in Jesuit so we went oh, to school crazy. with him so yeah. he's on the TV show yeah when when you were a freshman he was a senior when I was uh, uh, when you were a sophomore sophomore right. he was a, a senior so oh, crazy yeah um, I remember seeing him walking around saying hello to him that kind of thing when he was at Jesuit so oh right on yeah. uh, so this week we are broadcasting once again probably for a while here at the Metairie Studios. Um, no longer are we at the uh, the grandma's house, the other the mid city studios. So Crescent Pie and Sausage, we will miss you, but we you know we'll pay a visit every now and then. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, we got a lot of content, man. So enough jibber jabber from us, man. Let's head on to the queue. All right, man. Uh, we're so we're here in the queue, and I got some things to talk about with you, man. First of all, Phineas Ferb and Star Wars. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did. Coming out of Comic Con. They, uh, they talked about the, the Phineas and Ferb world entering the Star Wars, uh, I guess getting cross with the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. Uh, but similarly to like, you know, how Family Guy, that, that, that cartoon franchise, did uh, their version on Star Wars. So is Disney going to do the same thing with Phineas and Ferb? So what do you think about that, man? Mm, nice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Phineas and Ferb. I, I, not, you know, I enjoy it. It's a nice show. I mean, it's not one I get to watch often. But right. I'm the same way. Yeah. Exe- executive producer Dan Povenmire uh, was at the presentation at Comic-Con, and he had this to say. He said, may the fur be with you, and all of us who decades have dreamt of a chance to work with the great characters and stories of Star Wars. So they seem pretty excited. You know, I guess, you know. I mean, you get, if you get to play with the Star Wars franchise and bring it into your own pretty world, that must be pretty exciting for them, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I'm more looking forward to Star Wars Land in Hollywood Studios if they yep. ever get around to announcing that. But Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, what, they're saying that the story begins with Phineas and Ferb living happily in Tatooine. You know, um, 
just one moisture farm over from Luke Skywalker. So I guess they're neighbors <laughs> uh, in that particular thing. And also the, uh, the, the villain in that case, Darth Vader in the regular Star Wars world, they have Dr. Darth Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, if you're a fan of Phineas... Let me guess, he's got a Death Starinator? Yeah, it probably has a Death Starinator and a, and a, and a World Blow Upper or Inator or something like that. A lightsaber Inator. Lightsaber Inator and a... Death, uh, uh, that you said Death Star. What, what was their ships? What was the, those little triangle ships? The, oh, uh, the uh, X wings. Oh no, no, the uh, the big ships, the uh, uh, the cruisers, Star Destroyers, uh, Star Destroyers, the Naders. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're a fan of Physics of Ferb and you're a fan of Star Wars, and when these two universes or worlds collide, uh, you're in for a very lovely treat. In other words, just a great way to get your kids to watch some Star Wars. That's right. And, you know, that could be a good branch off, you know. Yeah, if that's what I'm is, saying. Yeah, yeah, if you haven't been introduced to Star Wars, hopefully they'll say, Dad, what is that from? Yeah. It's like, well, let me show you and educate you, son. <laughs> Back in 1970-something-something, we had this movie called A New Hope. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. All right. And kind of piggybacking off of what you just talked about here, um, the Epcot Imagination Pavilion is possibly set for renovations coming up very soon. What? Yes. A uh, post on the Epcot Explorers Encyclopedia's Facebook page has been stirring up interest in the Disney community. Site claimed that the Imagination Pavilion at Epcot will cease operations on January 2nd, 2014. The Captain EO show will not reopen while the ride and retail location are rumored to remain closed for one year for renovations. There is no official statement from Disney on the scale of work at this time. So this is just all rumors. Take it as a rumor. Yeah. I got it off of WDW Info. Huh. Um, okay. And uh, so, yeah, no word on what you're going to be seeing, but kind of like what you said with Phineas and Ferb, that's, that's long been the rumors that Phineas and Ferb is going into the Imagination Pavilion. You know, and I'd be okay with that. I think I might have mentioned that on the past show. I'd be okay with that. Mm, I want Figment. You want Figment? Well, as I long as much. Figment is somehow involved in some kind of a way, maybe, you know, Figment's there, he kidnaps Figment, and it turns out to be Perry the Platypus. Something, something Figment-related has got to be there. Well, dig this. You know, Figment is like an imagination in itself, and he can make things happen. Mm-hmm. Phineas and Ferb have one heck of imagination. There's no reason why they couldn't incorporate Figment into that attraction, if they, especially if they use Phineas and Ferb, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. I mean, but I mean, my impression is that he's just going to be like showing off a bunch of his innators to you. Who, the, uh, Phineas and Ferb? No, Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Oh, you think he's going to be in there a lot? Oh, yeah. yeah. Doofenshmirtz? Fact, yeah, here, here, look. The the, the rumor is, is that uh, uh, Doofenshmirtz would be the central figure of the ride using both his elaborately bad innators and real education to provide a new ride opportunity for guests. At the end would be not only the hands-on area for people to try out, but his innators in a 3D environment. Think Toy Story Mania. But there would also be his lab where you can purchase all different flavors of the drinks they are currently testing around World Showcase. Um, well, that's, uh, Dr. Doofenshmirtz drinks around around World Showcase? Well, I think they're going to peddle it like it's something that he invented, but oh, they're okay. sampling drinks around World Sh- I don't know what that means. Maybe those, maybe they, they're going to be packaging the Beverly <laughs> for you. So like a layer of mayonnaise on a bread of bread for a sandwich, they're bringing Phineas and Ferb all over Epcot. Uh, that's what it sounds like. You Interesting. Know, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not I'm not too happy about this. If that's the case, yeah, I prefer to see them go with a little something a little bit. More. Uh, it seems like every single one of these pavilions, more and more and more, are getting away from what the story was about. Right, right. And this just seems like another one. Like Living Seas has gotten away from the the focus is on Nemo, not so much on the seas. Right, the focus right. is on Ellen, not so much on energy. The focus is on the ride, not so much the world of motion. Yeah, I, I, you know it. And and here you go again. The focus is going to be on. 
Dr. Doofenshmirtz and not um, Imagination, it, it sounds like. And I don't know. I mean, Phineas and Ferb are cool, but, I mean, all these characters have a shelf life. Right. I mean, Kim Possible was just as big at one point in time, and that's kind of gone away. And she got replaced by Phineas and Ferb. Yes, she did. I guess that's still the whole synergy thing. Uh, I, mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't mind it. it. I think it would be an improvement over what they have now. I mean, I don't mind the show that they have now, but I definitely would like a better show. <laughs> I, I would too. <laughs> I, know, I would like a better show. I would like them to get EO out of there. And yeah, help. I mean, it's a killer pavilion. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot you can do with that. Yeah, you know, beautiful pavilion. You know, it's funny you talk about Epcot. I was happy. I was doing some research for our hub segment, and I stumbled on this uh, blog called Epcot Central. It's epcot82.blogspot.com. And he did a little, uh, uh, I guess, a little article or blog on about how Epcot Center is more or less falling apart. Because yes. I was dealing with the, uh, it's going to lead into one of my next news topics. But uh, he was talking about how there's no more sponsors in the parks and everything, not uh, for the pavilions as much as there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes into details as to why and everything else. And he, But he was talking about that, how like, you know, um, Future World has kind of lost its identity as far as what it's supposed to be, like what it's trying, like we don't even know what it's trying to be. Nope. You know, it's, so. It's like the Hollywood Studios all over again. It opened up as one thing and it's turning into some weird something else yeah. because of all the synergy that they want to inject into it it's right. losing its identity completely You're right and, and that, that's one thing that the blog was saying too that uh, um, you know the, it, it's hard to get sponsors because you know Disney wants really for the sponsors to push their own thing mm-hmm. uh, which in fact you know the sponsors really kind of wanted to push what they want to do like, like show their uh, American ingenuity of products and stuff into the world and whatnot so I mean um you know, it's it's an interesting blog. I'm gonna have to let you turn that uh, turn you on to that. And uh, uh, for all the listeners out there, if you get a chance, this is Epcot Central, and the, his website is epcot82.blogspot.com. And it, the article is called "The Sponsor Subterfuge" from October 13th, 2008. So it's an old article, but it still uh, holds pretty relevant. You know, three three years, five years later. Jeez, I'm sorry, three years. <laughs> I'm a little behind, but yeah, five years later, it still holds pretty. Uh, relevant, you know, and so that particular topic leads me to my next thing regarding sponsorship is the fact that AT&T is now uh, the wireless provider, official wireless provider for the Disney parks. And this report comes in from the Orlando Sentinel written by Stephen Ford. Uh, the article is entitled AT&T is now the official wireless provider for Walt Disney World Resort and Disneyland Resort. Okay, so both uh, East Coast and West Coast. If you're an AT&T wireless subscriber, here's great news if you're at the Magic Kingdom and trying to upload your iPhone video of Splash Mountain to YouTube while you share some Instagram photos of Mickey with your friends on Facebook, too. That's one long sentence. It really is. Yeah. It's kind of a run-on. So anyway, yeah, what they plan to do at the parks is that uh, for here in Orlando and California is that they hope they're going to put up 10 cell sites across Walt Disney World. Uh, more than 25 distributed antenna systems to increase wireless capacity. More than 350 so-called small cells to extend network connectivity. And more than 40 repeaters to boost the mobile performance for both guests and Disney cast members. It's AT&T. It's still going to suck. It's AT&T. Uh, but, you know, I'm an AT&T subscriber, so at least that'll help me-ish, I hope. I have AT&T all the time. I can't do any of those things that they described <laughs> without my phone spazzing out. Right, right, right. Um, let's see. According to today's announcement, the agreement will also see AT&T acting as a sponsor of the Disney-created soccer and run Disney events at the ESPN Wild World of Sports Complex. Uh, the, con- the, the pact will also... Uh, 
will also be used by both companies to educate consumers about the dangers of texting while driving. Of course, you got a little safety spiel thrown in there. Uh, also, for Disney cast members, they'll be able to use new mobile devices and enhanced network capabilities as part of their interaction with park guests, said the release. Um, so there you go. Uh, Meg Crofton has this quote to say that she has, she's quoted in the Orlando Central as saying, this alliance joins two companies that share a commitment to providing quality experiences. And we look forward to the collaboration as we continue leverage technology to enhance the experience for our guests. So there you go. Hopefully, uh, if you're an ATT subscriber, you know, hopefully you'll see um, somebody in there. I mean, hopefully you'll see some increased, not somebody, sorry. Hopefully you'll see some increased, uh, I guess, connectivity in the parks. I know sometimes I've always had some issues as far as sometimes texting or making calls or accessing um, websites or whatever else, you know, my touring plans, <laughs> my apps kind of things. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this, man? Other than, you know. I don't really have a great opinion of AT&T. Yeah. Um, in fact, we're trying to, we're holding our breath that neither of our phones break so we can switch service providers. Yeah. So. I w- you know, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, I could see why they would do that, but I wish they wouldn't limit it to one particular server. I'm glad AT&T has given them money so they can invest it back into the parks. Yeah, I'm glad too. But at the same time, it's like, you know, um, that almost kind of goes against Walt's philosophy about having the entire family enjoy or, or everybody enjoy in regards to like not every family can enjoy it if they're not an AT&T subscriber, you know? That's true. Unless the other services are just, you know, they're just, they're good enough to not have to worry about being part of the Disney uh, network land, you know? I don't know how Verizon or Sprint uh, services in the parks because I've never brought uh, Sprint or Verizon phone in there or even T-Mobile. Is T-Mobile still around? Yeah, yeah, T-Mobile. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know about them. I don't know what their their connectivity is like. Um, you know, for, so let me throw it out to you, listeners. If you're out there in the parks, you know, let me know how those other services are when you're inside the parks. Maybe y'all don't really need the extra help. I know AT&T. I have, I have some and uh, need some extra help, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I just you know, why, why not open it up to everybody? You know, you want to put some some things here. Let, let me erect a tower. And y'all pay for space on the tower to have your signals cross. I don't know how this works. I don't. I don't. Think you know, I don't know how it works, but I mean, you know, it's AT and T. It'll break down. Yeah, we'll see. So here's a little trivia question for you: What did AT and T sponsor in the parks? Specifically, let's let's narrow it down. In Walt Disney World, eh, even more so in Epcot Center. What did AT and T sponsor back in the day? Because obviously, this isn't the first time that AT and T's been part of the Disney World, so to speak. If I had to guess, it'd say Spaceship Earth. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. Dealing with all about communications and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's that report. All right. Oh, I forgot to mention. If, yeah, if you're one of those other uh, non-AT&T service uh, mobile customers, then uh, shoot us an email at magicourway at gmail.com and let us know what, you, what it's like for you. All right. And here is a second rumor. This one comes, by the way, of DisneyHipsters.com. Uh, and it's uh, it's kind of gaining a lot of traction. It looks like Rizzer, Rivers of Light. Rivers of Light. Rivers of Light might be finally coming to the Animal Kingdom. Whoa. Uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is a show that's been rumored for a long time now. Supposedly it's been in development since 2006. Uh-huh. Um, where it's going to be their nighttime attraction show. Kind of give people a reason to hang around the park after it gets dark finally turned disney's animal kingdom kind of like what we did last week with beastly kingdom beastly right, kingdom was right. supposed to be what kept you there you know once there was nothing to see with the animals this is supposed to keep you there at night this is gonna 
supposedly do the same thing. Right. Uh, so what the um, the Rivers of Light was supposed to have been is Disney's version of a Japanese uh, lantern parade. Lantern parade. Yes. Okay. Like, um, they were going to go ahead and uh, and cut out thousands of plants and trees and yeah. widen the path long enough so there'd be enough room for thousands of guests who wish to stand and watch the Rivers of Light. It's, I've, I'm having flashbacks of like Karate Kid 2. <laughs> you know there you go I'm, I'm reminded of that you know that little, that that little be, thing that's actually beautiful why don't they do that i'd like to see the karate kid uh, yeah man they could do the whole little tea ceremony they could have <laughs> a, a couple do that whole thing and then but, the little japanese girl can look down and you know upset because daniel's making fun of whatever <laughs> <laughs> but that helps give us a little more clarification that people would be marching along the pathways with Lantern. Right. I guess there would be boats around, circling, doing something. Hmm, okay. And uh, projections going on the tree. So Are they going to let them up in the air, and then some princess in like the Everglades is going to see it and wonder what those lanterns are in the sky that happen every night on her birthday? Oh, I don't know. That might be a really good way to go. Yep. And then she'll climb out of the tower and then get out of the Everglades and head on over to Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Yep. They don't really go into a whole lot of detail in explaining it, uh, but they did say earlier this month, Rivers of Light received its inaugural test run hours after the park closed, and it was a resounding success. Uh, resounding success. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. You know what I want to do now? I want to go to the park and just see where my viewing points would be for yeah, that particular it's, show. It's a 360 kind of thing. If you're standing on one direction, you're going to miss what's going... I don't know. But basically, that's what they're saying, is that they're finally putting in a nighttime show at Animal Kingdom. Huh. I guess it's cool. I mean, I, I wouldn't because they don't really have anything right now. They just have that parade that happens at around three, right? That little yeah, my, my Mickey's j- jang- Jungle Jamming Parade. Jamming in the jungle. Jamming in the jungle. <laughs> I, I know they have drummers, so I'm pretty. I like the parade because they have the drummers <laughs> <laughs> and banging on the floats. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I guess that'd be cool. You know, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing something. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't mind it either. Um, but I think it's going to take a little bit more. I mean, once people check out the show. I think you need a little bit more to keep people over at Animal Kingdom. Past. I mean, I know it's hard to put a parade in there, but, you know, how about, and this is going to lead me into my next news topic, how about uh, put an, a, a parade akin to, like, Spectro Magic in Animal Kingdom? That wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, I mean, not so bad. Yeah, it'd be good, but, I mean, I don't know. With the lush scenery that they have, the, the great views, I like the idea of them doing something on, along the river itself. Yeah. I, I really do like that. Again, I just don't know what the logistics of how they would make that work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, too. It would be, you know, okay, I'll, 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 I'll let them have the river thing. It'd be nice to have for them to do something with that river. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty cool because it kind of creates almost like a little wagon wheel, uh, wheel and spoke design for their mm-hmm. park. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'd like to have something going on with that, you know? Almost akin to, like, the, you know, the, what they used to have, the swan boats in, the, in Magic Kingdom. Something, you know, maybe not like that, but it'd be nice to have something. I'd be, curious, I'd be curious to see where this develops. Me too. So along with that, uh, speaking of Spectrum Magic, um, Spectrum Magic is, for the most part, gone now. They've, they've, Disney is, uh, has put out the word that they've confirmed that uh, Spectrum Magic will no longer be coming back. Um, this is one of my favorite parades, Danny, and I, and I do miss it. I like the music from it. You know, I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's it's great stuff. It was new lighting effects. You know, like the, all the LED stuff or the uh, the fiber optic stuff that was cool. Uh, um, 
not i mean i have nothing against the main street electrical parade uh but you know i did like spectrum magic that was that was a nice little change up you know uh and it was during high school especially one of the peaks of my disney fandom uh that it it, it started you know it started on october 1st 1991 and and left for the uh magic kingdom a couple of years beginning in 1999 and ultimately it ended its run forever in july june 5th 2010 you know i mean granted we didn't know it was going to end forever but uh it hasn't come back since that date june 5th 2010 and so now it's uh, disney has officially said that uh, spectrum magic the floats have been dismantled and it will not be coming back wow uh, they already dismantled the floats well according to the reports they, they, some of the floats were already falling apart and stuff and were in ah. disrepair so but so now it's but whatever it is it's completely gone you know um i think disney could have fixed it <laughs> You know, I think they could have done something instead of like, oh, the Main Street Electrical Parade, you know, such a classic. thing. I mean, I like the Main Street Electrical Parade. I wouldn't mind something different. You know, I don't I don't, I don't you know, I had nothing against Spectrum Magic. I mean, I know. What do you think, man? Did you, did you like that parade? It was all right. It wasn't one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather the Main Street Electrical mm-hmm. Parade uh, over it. But I mean, I, yeah, obviously sad to see something different go. Right. But they're also supposed to be doing a new parade. Right, right. Um, yeah. Flights of Fancy, Fantasy yeah, or we, something we, like that. We reported on it in the past show. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact title of the name. But anyway. Flight of Fantasy, something like that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So Spectrum Magic, officially gone. All right, Danny, the last thing I want to talk about in the queue is this poll found on all in WDW.com website. There's a guy named Bob that runs this uh, website called all in WDW.com. Does a great blog of everything that, uh, uh, regarding Disney, just the biggest fan as we are, if not bigger. Uh, but anyway, he did this uh, poll called Entertain Me Epcot. Uh, we're pretty much kind of like what we were wanting to do, kind of this like the uh, bracket kind of a gaming system. Mm-hmm. He took all, a lot of the uh, entertaining acts in Epcot Center and he put them into some brackets. And he ha- had we had round one, round two, and the final round. And, you know, any of his subscribers to his website could participate. And he had he posted this on the Liners Facebook page group uh, on Facebook, of course. And so we got to participate in all this and vote in it. So I wanted to read this out and see what you thought. And we'll see. We'll talk about the outcomes as far as what's happening with this particular poll, which ended actually on Monday. So um, you ready? Yeah. All right. So there were four brackets in round one. Uh, Let me tell you what's in each bracket, and then I'll have you vote for the one that you wanted to, and I'll tell you where it came out. Okay? Okay. All right. In round one, this first group, uh, they had Off Kilter, the World Showcase Players in the United Kingdom, uh, Interventions Fountain Shows, and Matsuritsa, drummers from Japan. Okay. Which would you go with? I only get to pick one. You only get to pick one out of each group. I'm partial to the fountain show. The fountain show? Yeah. All right. And I believe I picked Matsorita. <laughs> um, Matsorita actually came out last with 15.38% of the votes. They had wow. six votes. Um, Interventions Fountain Shows came out uh, third out of that group of four, 20.51%. Mm-hmm. The World Showcase Players came out at 23.08%. Mm-hmm. And Off Kilter came up at 41.03%. Really, and I believe he took the top two in each of those in each of these uh, categories. Okay, uh, not categories, but groups. Okay, so off kilter and world showcase players will move on. Um, here's a round one, the group two. We have the Spirit of America Fife and Drum Corps, the British Revolution, Miyuki the Candy Person, 
Candy Artistry, and the Zidi Sisters in Italy. You know the Zidi Sisters? You ever seen them? No, no. What I saw is the guy who um, has the whistle. He communicates through the whistle. Oh, right. Him, yeah. yeah. Uh, I ran into the Zidi Sisters twice. They're, they're usually in red dresses, and one usually has a, an accordion, and there's tambourines, and do this whole little act and stuff, usually around that little, that little uh, uh, monolith-looking thing. You've never seen them? No. Anyway, all right, well, who would you pick then? Well, obviously not them. Okay. All right, go back. What were the other three? The Spirit of America, Fife and Drum Corps for the Uh American Adventure. Right. The British Revolution, that band in the UK that took over for the Beatles group. Mm -hmm. And Miyuki, the candy artist in Japan. Now I get to pick two or pick one? You can pick one, which one you would vote it. The top two move on to the next round. With the Fife and Drum Corps. Well, you would have been right. The Fife and Drum Corps finished up first at 43.59% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Then followed by British Revolution in second. That would have been my second. Yep. And then Miyuki got mm-hmm. third. And the ZD Sisters got last. Because I don't, do they still do them? They do. Actually, when I went in February, this past February, they were there. Again. Every time I go there, it's the same guy with the... The whistle? Yeah, with the whistle, doing the thing where he throws... It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him too. But I also ran into these women as well. They're quite entertaining, actually. It's Kind of in really this poll at all? Who's the, that? The the whistle guy. Uh, uh, I don't remember. Let me see. Uh, it's been a while. He. Oh yeah, yeah, he is. Okay. In fact, he's in this next group. Round. Okay. This is round one, group three. Okay. Now you have uh, Sergio, the juggling idiot. Mm-hmm. I- I- idiot. Italy. Did you say idiot. <laughs> yeah. The juggling idiot. I said idiot. Sound like idiot, but I meant <laughs> Italy. The juggler in Italy. So uh, I, I didn't mean anything by that, Sergio. Uh, then there's Moroccan, of course, okay. from Morocco. Uh-huh. The Jewel Dragon Acrobats from China. Mm-hmm. And the Jammeters. So which out of that group would you go with? Oh, God. Um, yeah, some of these were really tough. I, I, I voted the entire time. All four tough. of those. I mean, that's actually one where I've seen all four of those. Yeah, this one's actually a pretty tough one because I yeah. like them all. I like them all. I like the Jammeters because they just show up and you have no idea it's coming. But then again, I guess you can kind of say that about... A couple of the acts in the World Showcase where they just come out and they're performing and you're like, oh, wait, something's yeah. happening. Well, I'd curious, pick two. What would, you, what would your top two out of that group be? The Jammeters, the Jewel Dragon, Acrobats, Moroccan, or Sergio? All right. Moroccan would be last. Okay. Uh, wait, that's the one with the belly dancers. Oh, man. Hold up. Yeah, they play. They usually play right on the walkway, you're right, right by the water. You're killing me. Um, yeah. Pretty killer band. Got some good stuff. Yeah. Shoot. Moroccan. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I'll go with the juggling guy. The juggling guy? Okay, I'll give him one. Okay. And I'll give the other one to... I know the acrobats have to be up there, but uh, I'll give the other one to um, Mo Rockin. Oh, okay. You guessed the la- the people that finished the bottom two. <laughs> So Sergio mm-hmm. was last with 12.5% of the vote. Mo Rockin was uh, third, 15% of the vote. The Acrobats were 20%, and the Jammeters were 52.5%. You know, that was my, where I was tempted to go because I did like them so much, but yep. I liked the Jammeters, and I was strongly considering them. Yeah. But, I mean, really what they are is they're a bunch of guys who are street cleaners mm-hmm. that just break in the song. The right. other stuff, I mean, the Acrobat... 
act is so much harder to pull off. Right, right. The 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 juggling guy. That's what he does is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. it's really hard to pull that off as Seen well. Him, yeah. And belly dancers, really? How you can, how are you gonna say no to belly dancers? Can't say no. I mean, act, aside from the fact that Morocco is a pretty killer group, mm-hmm. I had a tough time. I I think I voted for the Jammers. Well, because I'm a drummer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they drum. But a close, very, very close second would have been Moroccan. You know, I like the other two acts too, but I think those are the two I would have picked from yeah. you know, when I was voting for this. And I knew the acrobats were going to be up there. I just, I guess I, I chose mine on a degree of difficulty plus, right. you know, the cultural significance. Right. Oh, so, all right. So round one, the group four, the last one. Uh, this one was really tough for me because there are two groups in here that I went back and forth all the time. But anyway, here we go. Uh, you have Mariachi Cobre from Mexico. Mexico. You have the Hat Lady, which we talked about from last week's show, from the Rose and Crown. I, I did ask Aaron about the Hat Lady. Yeah. He said, is that the woman that plays the piano? Yeah. So he has it. But I asked him, I was like, well, what does she do with hats? And he's like, I don't know of her doing anything with hats. Right, so, right. Still a mystery. Yeah. And then you have Servir Mouzon from France. I don't, I don't, I don't remember that one. Or at least I've seen it, but I don't know what it's called. Oh, is that the one with the boxes? Oh, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. Oh, that's, that's a pretty that's good him. one. I like yeah. that one. And of course, the Voices of Liberty. All right, the Voices of Liberty won. Yes, they did. They got sixty-one point five four percent. Right. I'm, I'm going to go. That box show is pretty. I'm going to go with him next. Yep, he was second. Okay. Twenty-three point zero eight. The Hat Lady at the Rosa Crown got third, and Mariachi Cobra got last, which I know. upsets me. I love Mariachi Cobra. I, I liked him. I mean. What, do you, what can you say? It's the Voices of Liberty. Yeah, yeah Voices of Liberty going to win out, but I mean, Mariachi Kobe was a very, very, very good. Just like the other ones with Jammer and Moroccan were close, this was even closer for me, Voices of Liberty and that. So anyway, so we got that. I should answer by who I think's going to win, not who I thought. Who, who I would predict have won, not, not as opposed to what I would Because right, that's I why you. I would have got those right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do We'll do that for uh, round two then. Okay. Of course, the top two in each of the groups went on, and you, you got to vote on them on another day. So let's entertain those. In round two, group one, we have four groups. Okay. Off Kilter, Servir Mouzon, The Spirit of America, Fife and Drum Corps, and The Acrobats from China. And how many I get on this one? Uh, two of them. The, the two from each group will move on to the final round. So I get to pick two. Yep, you could pick two, or you could pick the order. You could even guess the order that they might have came out in. Oh, that's a better one. Yeah, let's okay. do that. So it's off kilter. Uh huh. Serving Mozart. Uh, Spirit of America, Fife and Drum Corps, mm-hmm. and the Jewel Dragon Acrobats. You know, I might be butchering that France name. Right. Okay. <laughs> the the France name is last. Am I right? Incorrect. Do, get out of here. Okay. Yeah. Third. Incorrect. Wow. Yeah. All right. Shoot. Now I'm. I'm and, and don't get me wrong, I think he deserves to be in the top two, but just because... Based against the other groups? Yeah, based against the other groups, I didn't think he'd do it so well. All right. So they finished second, to let you know. So okay. They, they came in second, the, yes. And then it's Fife and Drum. It's it is, uh, yeah. Off Kilter. Yes. And then and then you have the Acrobats. So where would you put those people? Three of them left. Mm. Who do you think got last? I'm going to go with the Fife and Drum Corps. No. No? No. They, actually, they got one? Nope. They didn't. They got third. They got third. Yes. Okay. They got third. So now you got to guess who got first and who got last. It's off kilter or the acrobats. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine the acrobats got one. You're I, right. They didn't. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> they got less in this particular Wow, yeah. there's some tough people. Yeah, I know. Acrobats are pretty good. I like that. They've been around for a while, too. You know, I, I enjoy watching them whenever whenever they're there. Yeah. And I'm passing by. It's like I'll go, you know, granted, I won't go seek them out. But if I happen to be passing and they're there, I will stop and watch them. That sucks, you man. I, really? That was a linchpin. That's what I based my rankings on. I was like, all right, Acrobats got to be at least in the top yeah. two. And, man, I just sucked after that. Yeah, uh, Off-Kilter took, took this one. So it's Off-Kilter and Servio Amazon. From France, moving on to the final round. People really love that off kilter. Yeah, huh? I guess so. Yeah, they do. The Canadian, the group in Canada. You know, they wear wow. kilts and stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a fan. I like the group. It's a good group. But I've watched them and then moved on. Like after like a few yeah. minutes, every single time, it's yeah. never captured my attention enough to stay. Yeah, I'm the same way. Maybe we're just too old. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So the second group. This one was just as tough for me. In this group, you have the World Showcase players, the Jammeters. British Revolution and the Voices of Liberty. Good Lord. Let's now, do this. Well, who do you think got first? I'll go with anyway. Voices of Liberty. You are correct. Okay. Yes. Voices of Liberty took that one pretty good. Okay. And then the remaining three are Jammeters, mm-hmm. um, British Revolution, British Revolution, and the World Showcase Players. Who's the World Showcase showcase players exactly? The Refer- Holy Grail. Grail, Grail, Grail. Okay. Ooh. Okay, okay. Last. <laughs> last, yes. They, they, they finished last. So now you got to figure out second and third. And this is between the Jammeters. Correct. And, and British Revolution. My short-term memories. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, Shoot. All right, I'll go with the Jammeners and then the British Revolution. You are correct. You guess that? Yeah, you did that pretty good. I got all four of those. You right. got all four I of those. I redeemed myself. Thank God. Jammeners got second, so the, them and the Voices of Liberty are moving on to the final round. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right, so let me pull this up. And in the final round, we have four groups. I'm voting against off-kilter. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one winner. Your four groups in the final round is off-kilter, the Jammeters, Voices of Liberty, and Servier Amazon. And I get two of these? Uh, you only get one. There's I'll only get one. one winner in this one. one. Okay. One winner? <laughs> one winner in this particular round. All right, not off kilter. Not off kilter what? They, they didn't. Oh, wait. Can I, can I guess how they finished again? Yes. Go for it. All right. How do it, you think it finished? Off kilter, Jammeters, Voices of Liberty, and what am I missing? Servier Amazon. Servier Amazon. I'm going to go with him finishing. Last. So it was finished last, correct. I'm going to go with uh, third place finish was... Who am I forgetting about? Off-Kilter, Jammeters, and the Voices of Liberty. Third will be Off-Kilter. Incorrect. I, man, that... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that Off-Kilter band gets me every single time. All right. Second, at least, Off-Kilter. Incorrect. No. Yes. Off kilter one. They won in this particular group. Yes. What is wrong with you people? So they had off kilter. They had the jammeter second, then voices of liberty. No. That no. threw me. That's horrible. Yeah, I would. I would think it'd be voice. I mean, I know off kilter is pretty popular. They've been around for a while, and a lot of people like them. Uh, but I would seriously have thought that voices of liberty would have been up there. Beyond you know? that, did the voting t- is this primarily a Canadian audience that this I, guy has? I, I don't know. He this guy's a, he, Bob's in Atlanta. <laughs> Bob, do you, do you promote in Canada? <laughs> 
ads in Canada and anything. But no, yeah, the, the particular people that have uh, voted on this, that yeah, off kilter got thirty six point sixty seven percent of the vote, and Jaminers finished second with twenty six. There's a ten point difference there, ten percent, ten percentage difference there between those two groups, and then, but oh, you know what? Here's here's a, a little thing: Jaminers and Voice of Liberty actually tied. With the same amount of votes, twenty six point six seven percent of the votes. That's not even right. Yeah, the Voices of Liberty should have took that. I'm oh sorry. yeah, I think they. I, I think they would have. I voted for the Voices of Liberty that particular round. I didn't expect off kilter to take it, but oh well. I should have campaigned harder, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, but that was pretty interesting, man. He apparently Bob does a lot of these different little polls on there. So keep a if you subscribe to his website, all in WDW, we'll give you more details about Bob and all in WDW a little bit later on the show. Um, to save the best for last, of course. And anyone who wants to write in and defend the, uh, the off-kilter uh, selection as the best attraction in Epcot, feel free. Yeah, if you have any opinions about this poll, man, you know, look at it. Go to the website, www.com, and check out the poll. It's called Entertain Me Epcot. Check out the results and let us write us in. Let us know uh, of your opinions, and we'll share it on the air, and we'll, we'll talk about it with you. Uh, MagicRWay at gmail.com. So, anyway, that's the poll. Any last thoughts or closing thoughts regarding that? Other than pure shock. <laughs> shock and awe. It was interesting, though. I tell you, I like this poll. It was, it was neat. I do. I enjoy that kind of format, and, and we talked about doing that in one of our shows, and we yeah. tried to do it at one point. We'll just report on Bob's. He does a good job. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Except I, 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 I want to see Bob's sample and data. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I'm convinced that most of his listeners are from Canada. Well, you know, we'll just have to campaign for people to do the polls so that you know we can get a bigger, broader audience so it can actually get a really good representation. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So anyway, with that being said, man, let's head on to the hub. All right, this week in the Hub, we're talking about the Pixar theory. This has been cir- circulating around Facebook and on the internet and everything else. This was written by a guy by the name of John Negroni, and he's got his uh, little uh, website that he created for re- writers, bloggers, and friends and colleagues and stuff, you know, to submit your writings and articles and everything else, uh, what he calls the new professionals. So uh, there's a little background on him, but his website is johnnegroni.com, and uh, John is spelt without the so it's J-O-N and Negroni's, just like how it sounds, dot com. Uh, you can Google that and find his website and check out this article. Or, I mean, this the article's been everywhere, so you can kind of find the Pixar Theory and his website through there. But anyway, we're going to explore. I'm going to, basically, I'm going to read this to you. So if you guys want to pull this up uh, on your own particular web browsers or your iPads or whatever, however you access the internet and read along with us, um, we'll tell you when to turn the page. Actually, that won't work because we just scroll up. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It won't be one of those ding. You know, <laughs> now it's time to turn the page. Uh, but anyway, this was a. Um, we're going to read this article that just came out recently about uh, how this guy believes that the all the Pixar movies exist within the same universe, so to speak, just different points in time. You know, not necessarily the universe that. Um, or that we live in, but maybe a different universe. But they all like, happen to exist within the same time, and they're linked by uh, uh, one common thread, or a couple of threads, actually. You know? yeah, when I first heard about this, I really kind of thought what they were trying to say is that they were existing simultaneously, which I was trying to kind of figure out, like, right. how are you going to do that? And to discover you know, what he did do is that basically he, he worked us up from, you know, he, he figured out alternate timelines to take right. you along that right. 
kind of explained how they were connected. So it wasn't it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be when I heard of yeah, it. Yeah, it's not existing at the same time, but it's more or less existing within the tam- same timeline. And he got this so idea from Cracked of all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And not not that not that he's on crack and that's where he developed this idea. No, 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 no. From if you remember that there was Mad Magazine. Yeah, Mad cr- Magazine cracked. Yeah. And it was cracked. By the same people. The, yeah, the which called the uh on the website they actually had a, a video yeah. where you saw four of the uh Four of their staff members sitting around doing a little bit of a discussion. The guy right. throws out a theory right. that basically um, this Pixar theory, uh, not Pixar theory, what am I trying to say? Um, Any that the, the Pixar movies were leading up to the robot apocalypse. Right, 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 right. Um, so anyway, I'm going to read, you can follow along. I'm going to read it straight from this article. We're going to just kind of talk about it because I, 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 well, I was going to kind of summarize, but I didn't want to do that out of respect for John Negroni. And I mean, it's a fantastic article. I like it. You know, he's this, it's still a work in progress as he says, and he's, and he, he, and I'll get into some details as far as how you can get in touch with him in order to kind of fill in some, I guess the holes and the gaps that contribute to this theory, but it's, it's rather interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about this. So, um, yeah, this is the whole theory that the Pixar characters or the stories all exist within the same timeline in the same universe of its own. And so instead of just reading straight, you know, I'm going to read most of it, but we kind of explained everything about what he's going to talk about in the first paragraph. So, you know, the paragraph that says every Pixar movie is connected, blah, blah, and he lists all the movies. So let me go ahead and list the movies that he talks about. It's everything since Toy Story. So it's A Bug's Life. Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, and Monsters University. So this is pretty recent. And uh, this was actually published back in July 11, 2013. Um, so basically he says uh, every movie is connected and implies major events that influence every single movie. Um, and so he goes on to say that the stuff in blue is stuff that he's edited or added in to explain further details. Um, and he goes on to say, Brave is the first and last movie in the timeline. Obviously, this movie about a Scottish kingdom during the Dark Ages is the earliest time period covered by the Pixar films. But it's also the only Pixar movie that actually explains why animals in Pixar universe behave like humans sometimes. Okay, pretty interesting. Um, in Brave, Merida discovers that there is magic that can solve her problems but inadvertently turns her mother into a bear. We find out that this magic comes from an odd witch seemingly connected to the mysterious Will of the Wisps. Not only do we see animals behaving like humans, but we also see brooms, inanimate objects, behaving like people in the witch's shop. So, you know, I guess if you think about it in a timeline, yeah, this is the first. You think about when Brave was taking place um, back in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, I guess, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. we still had the Vikings. The uh, the clans of the Scottish Kingdom were not were just now getting united under this one bear king in, in that particular universe. Um, so that kind of leads everything off here. Well, you know, this is also marks my, per- my first problem with this Pixar theory. Yeah. Um, it's the only Pixar movie that actually explains why animals in the Pixar universe sometimes behave like humans. Right. I, because witch, witches cast spells on things and because we just of don't magic, see it. Yeah, yeah, because of magic, <laughs> possibly from her. Now, this is in, in, that, in that particular universe now, I think. You know, I, 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 that's, that's, what, that's what I read into it. In that particular universe, the reason why they start, and he kind of explains, like, 
He explains it. Well, let me, let me read some more. Go ahead. Because he kind of explains a little bit further about what happens. Because it's not completely, I guess, solid yeah, because of a thing. I was going to say, the horse, Merida's horse acts, has some human-like traits in the way it reacts to things. It doesn't just stand there right. and behave like a horse 100% of the time. Um, but the other animals actually can talk. And, and you know, it, it, it's all based upon a magic spell cast by a witch. Right. And so is what he's saying that, okay, this explains why a witch casts a magic spell way back in the day. Right. And the animals who she cast a magic spell on got it on with one another and started breeding <laughs> large right. quantities of animals that had this quality. Is that really what he's saying? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. It's a, okay. it, well, in, in a way. It, 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 uh, uh, from what I read, it's like the magic that the witch gave them showed the animals that they had the ability to do pretty, pretty much certain things. It wasn't instantaneous. And he kind of gets along with this later in the, in the, in the article, saying that uh, you know, now that they've seen this, they, it, uh, over time progression, they start to realize that if they, if they, I guess if they work on that particular aspect of themselves as their character, they can start to bring that particular particular characteristic out so to speak but wasn't the whole point of brave that the woman was losing her humanity right the longer she would get that once you were a bear you you didn't have that 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 ounce of humanity within you anymore right that that i, I never got the impression that they were learning anything all i got the impression well he goes to the feather the fact that it, it's um that the magic wears off which is why they slowly revert back into their animal state versus being like human-like i guess I, he does address okay. it. Okay, so, so the maybe. magic wears off, but somehow it carries through the gene. Yeah, it carries through the gene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and some. It's, yeah, okay. yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's a, all right. So, okay. um, let's see. Where were we? Okay. Um, oh shoot, where am I? Oh, we also learn that this witch inexplicably disappears every time she passes through doors, leading us to believe that she may not even exist. Don't get ahead of me, but we'll come back to brave. Let's just say for now, the witch is someone we know from a different movie in the timeline. Now, let me stop right there real quick. I, you know, we watched it just before we started recording. Man, I, I, I don't see where the witch disappears through the doors. Maybe I'm not seeing something correctly. But, I mean, I know the house disappears yeah, when, when Meredith finally leaves after getting the cake, mm-hmm. so to speak. She turns around and is gone. But I don't see the witch disappearing through doorways. I mean, did you, did you see anything? No, I, mean, I even watched a short story with you about the legend of... Um, yeah, with Wee Dingwall, he goes in there and they talk about the legend of uh, Mordu. Yeah. You know, and how that came to be. Right. And uh, I didn't see what he was talking about. Now, that, that doesn't... That isn't just, I'm sure if he's researched things this well, I'm sure there's a point that he can point to. Yeah. That, where he can say, okay, yeah, look, right there. She, but he makes it sound like in this article that she routinely does this. It's, de- it's definitive, yeah. Right. It's actually and definitive. I, I didn't see her do it once. So listeners out there, if you're there, man, shoot us an email if you have seen this. And tell us where to find it. Because I would li- actually like to see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my kid has been watching Brave all week for the past two weeks. You know, that's all she's been wanting to watch is just watch Marina, Marina, Marina. In the car, wherever we go and we travel. And so, you know, of course, since I, I, I knew I was going to start talking about this particular topic, I wanted to see the witch disappear. And, you know, the, there's that fun time in the beginning when she exists, I guess, in quote unquote reality. Uh, we actually see her interact with Merida. But the only other time in the movie that you see her exist is as a potion. You know, Merida pours a potion in the cauldron and she appears and tells Merida the thing that she forgot to tell her when, well, you know, before she disappeared, I guess. You know, so other than the house completely disappearing after Merida leaves with the cake is maybe the only time that she actually really disappears. But 
I didn't really see anything regarding the, the doorway. So if any, and this kind of hinges on everything regarding the theory. Um, so, but we'll, we'll explore more of that when we get to it. But if you guys out there have seen it, magicourway at gmail.com, let us know, because I want to know. And I will check it out and talk about it next week, okay? Well, at the very least, though, um, he says this witch inexplicably disappears every time she passes through doors. We saw at least one time where she didn't inexplicably disappear no. when she passed through a door. So, I mean, he makes it sound like it's a routine thing. Right, right. And we watched that whole scene. I mean, I'm not discounting that there could be a part in that movie where I forget that that witch shows up and yeah. does something. But I think he's overstating the, his case here. Yeah. All right. So this next part is written in blue, if you notice. And so it's a little addition. And it talks about the whole deal about, the, you know, they revert back to the, the animals revert back to their animal state when the magic wears off. So we kind of really touched upon that. So I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead um, past their uh, past that blue section and continue on with his original article. And the last thing in the blue article, he says over time, their evolving intelligence grows naturally. OK. Um, so just uh, if you remember reading article, he talks about two particular things that progress through time and it's a long time period and it's, well, I'm getting ahead. I'm not, uh, I won't jump ahead, but anyway, I continue the reading centuries later, the animals from brave that have been experimented on by the witch have interbred. There you go. Creating a large scale population of animals, slowly gaining personification and intelligence on their own. There are two progressions. This is the thing I was just about to talk about, okay? There are two progressions, the progression of the animals and the progression of the artificial intelligence. So we got the time, the, within that same timeline, you get uh, animals advancing and AI basically advancing. The events of the following movies set up a power struggle between humans, animals, and machines. The stage for an all-out war in regards to animals is set by Ratatouille, Finding Nemo, and Up, in that order. Notice I left out a bug's life, but I'll explain why later. In Ratatouille, we see animals experimenting with their growing personification in small, controlled experiments. Remy wants to cook, something only humans explicitly, explicitly do. He crafts a relationship with a small group of humans and finds success. Meanwhile, the villain of Ratatouille, Chef Skinner, disappears. What happened to him? What did he do with his newfound knowledge that animals were capable of transcending their instincts and performing duties better than humans? Okay, so this is a this is a realization that you know somebody sees that the the, the animals other than uh, Linguini uh, has have the ability, innate ability to be able to do this. They can prog uh, they progress to this point, and so. I guess the question is never really answered. Like, what happens? What does he do with that knowledge? You know, does he? Well, but again, if he's if animals have progressed to this point, how come only the rat? rat how come only Remy can do it? Like, the, none of the rest of the rats really communicate with anybody else. I mean, well, I guess by power of evolution, he might be the most ev uh, uh, evoluted. <laughs> <laughs> Convoluted is more no, like it. Yeah, it's like he might be the uh, more advanced in evolution, the um, evolutionary line, I guess. Because he's all about mixing flavors and tastes and stuff, and he he got this advanced innate uh, sense of smell and taste, where mm -hmm. his brothers and sisters and his dad don't even, don't really care. They eat garbage, right? Right. So maybe he's, maybe he's a little further along the evolutionary ladder. Who knows? Okay. Um, but anyway, to go on, it is possible that Charles Muntz, the antagonist of Up, learned of this startling rumor, giving him the idea to begin inventing devices that would harness the thoughts of animals. Namely, his dogs through translator collars. All right. So I, I guess I can kind of see that, you know, having that idea that they can do that. He wanted to harness it, I guess, almost control it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or provide the animal. I don't know. 
maybe he was lonely. <laughs> maybe he was just lonely. You know, he's stuck on a somewhere in Africa or whatever else, and he has no other friends but his dogs, and he wants somebody to talk say, about. I kind of get the impression that Charles Munch starts working on these animals. Yeah. Way back when he first starts exploring, which to me would predate what's going on in Ratatouille. I might be wrong. You on think? That. I'm not too sure. Um, well, hold on a second. Let's take it. Let me let me finish out this paragraph, and we'll take. Let me let me look at the timeline here. Um, so, translator calls. Those callers indicated to Munts that animals are smarter and more like humans than we think. He needed this technology to find the exotic bird he's obsessed over. And, is even com- and he even comments on how many dogs he's lost since he's arrived in South America. Oh, South America, not Africa. So, yeah, there you go. So, so my, my fault there. Um, so let's look at the timeline here, if I can pull this up. Because, like, weren't you watching uh, Ratatouille? I mean, not Ratatouille, I'm sorry. Weren't you watching Up, and they're showing this footage about Charles Munts through these newsreels right. that you would see going to the theater? Right. But, yeah, you watch Ratatouille... And uh, Gaston is cooking on TV. <laughs> right, right. So it seems like he might be a little bit um, confused as Just to his a little behind with all that. Yeah. See, I'm looking at all right. So I'm looking at this timeline, and it has uh, like Ratatouille around 2007. Uh, okay. Area timeline with Up being around 2011, 2016. So what he thinks Charles Munt started fooling around with the dog collars only two years ago. Yeah, I guess. Well, <laughs> in that universe, not in our universe now. So we're talking about, I guess, an, it would have to be an alternate universe. And it, it kind of explains it. All, but that, look at it on the timeline that he has a website. Yeah, he definitely has Ratatouille before that, which you're right. doesn't make sense because, um, you know, he's Gusto's Gusto's on TV and then they have the, the movie reels uh, um, with. Well, you know what, though? Let's think about this. The beginning of the movie was probably. It could be before Ratatouille, right? The when they were young, when they were younger, and they saw Charles Munts on the newsreels, right? But also, like when you saw Gusto cook, I'm saying Gusto, right? Is Gusto, that, that's yeah, Gusto, 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 a, yeah. When you see him cooking, again, that's before the movie started. Like they're showing reruns, right? Because he's dead. All right, right. You know, he he had died along. That's that's what Remy comes to learn is that he's no more. So again, that movie is set in the past as well, right? But well, the the present, the main action of the movie, I, I can see where the main action of the movie could take place just before Up. Okay, the main action of Up. But now, now we try to figure out where the beginnings of both of those movies actually occur. Right. So I I can agree with you and say that I think Up might have predated the beginning of Up when they were young. Mm-hmm. Predated uh, the Ratatouille. Right. Gusto. So that that kind of makes sense to me. But in the in the I guess the present time of the movie, the present action of the movie uh, is as he presents it in that 2007 and then ups 2000, um, 2011, 2016-ish, I guess. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know. That's what I kind of gathered. Sort of. I, I think he's stretching quite a bit. But yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So to continue the reading, but then Doug and the rest of his experiments are set free after months' demise, and we don't know the full implications of that, but what we do know is that animosity between the animals and humans is growing steadily. Do you see that? Whoa, how do we know that? What happened? Well, I guess it's because of, uh, I don't know, Doug seemed pretty friendly, but he wasn't too happy with Munts. Right. right? Um, and the dogs that were under Munts weren't really too happy with, I guess, uh, what's his name? Um, um, what's the Carl? Guy? Carl, yeah. 
Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but they're all hanging with Carl at the end of the movie, aren't they? Yeah, I guess they're all hanging with I mean, I don't know. I know Doug becomes, becomes their leader. Yeah, they had that one dog that, you know, ended up in the collar. Yeah. And once the, the cone lead, of shame. The cone of shame. Yeah. There you go. And, and again, Ratatouille, you had all the, the humans embraced yeah. Remy as a good cook. He opened his own restaurant. Right. I don't get the, Where's this war coming? I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't see it yet. Okay. I don't see that they're they're not, they're not liking each other so much. You know, I, Doug seems to dig Carl. You know, Me either. In you fact, know? the whole story of, of Doug of, becomes alpha male, so he runs that group. So they, yeah. the the group's going to do whatever. The pack's going to do whatever. And the whole story behind Ratatouille is a story of accepting, like looking at, not judging a book by its cover, so to speak. Right. And, and accepting things that you wouldn't, you know, that you would normally dismiss and be like, oh, that's not right. You know, the, that, that he couldn't possibly have done this. Well, you may see it in the unknown, I guess. I mean, all it takes is one and tag, uh, one uh, instigator to start, I guess, a war. You know, so like he's talking about that uh, the chef from um, the chef from um, Skinner. Skinner, yeah, Skinner going back. Like they never talk about him, so there's an unknown. You know, the rats just kind of cart him off, and he he goes off wherever he ends up. Mm-hmm. So he might have some loathe towards the uh, the the rats. You know, and vice versa. We don't know what's happening in that in that timeline. You know, because it's not portrayed in the movie or explained. And at the same time, I mean, you know, the, maybe the dogs are doing something. I mean, you know, maybe Doug loses his alphaness mm-hmm. <laughs> sometime in the future. I'm not too sure. It's it's it, it's interesting. It's all about the unknowns, I guess. But in what we see is they seem to get along pretty well. And you know, like most cultures, there are yeah. going to be aspects of people that get along pretty well as well. You yeah, know? it's just the way he says. What we do know is that. Yeah. humans and it's like well no 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 hold up i, I right. never got that impression and and this is part of my problem with this pixar theory is it's kind of repainting all these wonderful loving heartfelt right. movies into these this real dismal it's like wait i didn't get the impression that ended where right. dogs were about ready to revolt on right humans. right um so anyway to continue with the thing uh it says uh Let's see. To develop this new... Te- oh, let's see. So, to, just to recap, now that humans have discovered the potential of animals, they are beginning to cross the line. Um, to develop this new technology, the humans begin an industrial revolution hinted in at Up. And this is an addition that he has. Some have, have pointed out that Muntz was working in South America before the events of Ratatouille. This is true. But it's not an explic- explicitly stated how and when he developed the collars. Also, we know Ratatouille takes place before Up in several reasons. For several reasons. But that's, that's not what we came up with, was it? We came up with uh, Up. No, well, Up takes place... The beginning of Up takes place before Ratatouille. Now, he's trying to, what he's trying to say is that, yeah, but we don't know when the collars were developed. But I think we're pretty clear in saying that it, it, if, he's, if he's crediting uh, Ratatouille as having happened with, you know, within two to three years yeah. of, of Up... Right. That's a very small... The, the dude would have had to have been in his late 70s, right. li- working by himself, building everything over that long span of time right. with no help whatsoever. Only within the last two years was he able to develop a talking dog collar. I, it's, again, very thin. Well, either, in either case, we know that these two movies exist, exist within the same lifeline, so to speak, right? I'll go with that. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can agree with that. Um, so let's uh, move on. Uh, uh, it says in Toy Story 3, a postcard on Andy's wall has Carl and Ellie's name and address on it, including their last names to confirm. 
Um, this uh, assumes to mean that they're already married. Carl and Ellie are already married, right? Mm-hmm. This confirms that in 2010, the time of Toy Story 3, Ellie is still alive or hasn't been dead long. This supports the idea that Ups takes place years later. So I guess he's talking about the present action of Up mm-hmm. after Ellie passes away, takes place later. But and all, and that's, that's very well possible. That's very well possible. I totally agree with that. Okay. So going on. In the beginning of Up, Carl is forced to give up his house to a corporation because they're expanding the city. Think on that. What corporation is guilty for polluting the earth and wiping out life in the distant future because of technology overreach? By and large, a corporation that runs just about everything by the time we get to Wally. In a commercial from the movie, we're told that BNL has even taken over the world governments. Did you catch this one corporation achieve global dominance? Interestingly, this is the same organization that is alluded to in Toy Story 3. Okay, you see that by and large pretty much everywhere in a lot of the movies, right? Yeah. So Toy Story 3, the batteries, you see them, uh, the gas stations, everything else in WALL-E and, and, and everything else like that. Um, so this, uh, so this kind of ends that part of the discussion of regarding artificial intelligence, I guess, in animals. Mm-hmm. No, not really. Not artificial. He's still dealing with the animals, but he kind of touches upon artificial intelligence when he starts talking about by and large because they're the corporations that deal with all that. So anyway, moving on. Uh, in Finding Nemo, we have an entire population of sea creatures uniting to save a fish that was captured by humans. Okay, so I guess he could, he's still going along the fact that they're, they're, there's still animosity between animals and humans, so to speak, I guess. I'm not too sure. Okay. Um, but anyway, BNL shows up again in this universe via another news article that talks about a beautiful underwater world. In Finding Nemo, lines are being crossed. Humans are beginning to antagonize the increasingly networked and intelligent animals. Think about Dory from Finding Nemo for a second. She stands apart from most of the other fish. Why? She isn't as intelligent. Her short-term memory loss is likely a result of her not being as advanced as the other sea creatures, which is a reasonable explanation for how rapidly these creatures are evolving. So... Whereas she's not evolving so much, maybe Remy is the same way. He's evolving r- rather rapidly compared to the rest of his um, family. Okay, now again, and this is what throws me off. Okay, you're right. Her short-term memory is not what it was meant. Was not what it could have been. Right. But in a way, Dory is more advanced than any other fish because she can read. Right. She can read and she can speak to whales. He, had, yeah. he has, actually goes on to say that. And you know, oh. there might be some... Yeah, he, had, he goes on to say... Uh, actually, I'll go ahead and read it. Um, it is likely that the sequel to Finding Nemo, which is about Dory, Finding Dory, uh, will touch on this and further explain why. We may also get some more evidence pointing to animosity between humans and animals. Now, you know, it's funny. I'm going to watch Finding, Nemo, uh, Finding Dory, and I'm going to be kind of thinking that in the background of the head. Is all right, let me, let me look for any animosity between animals and humans and such. You know? But, you know, we, maybe when that movie comes out next year, we could see how Dory is both not as advanced, yet really advanced. It's mind-blowing, but at the same time, it's kind of a little mind-confusing a little bit. Where's Monsters Inc. at in this? It's a little bit further down. In so the this happens after Monsters Inc. happens after Dory. Uh, and Finding Nemo. I'm not exactly sure. I want to. I don't know. I think I want to say it's. I'm almost at the same time. And no, not no. Much later. Monsters Inc. Usually happens. It happens much later after the humans have left or disappeared. Okay. Well, how does he explain Mike Wazowski swimming <laughs> at the end of Finding Nemo? Oh, he says. Uh, he says something regarding that. But let me see. Um, I'll go ahead and read. 
Um, let's see. So this this is an update. So update. Some great users have pointed out that Dory is actually more intelligent and shows signs of growth due to her ability to read and communicate with a whale. Okay. This would actually show signs of how animals are beginning to change in intelligence gradually. Okay. And that is the furthest movie in the animal side of things. When it comes to AI, we start The Incredibles. Who's the main, who's the main villain of this movie? You probably thought of Buddy, a.k.a. Syndrome, who basically commits genocide on superpowered humans. Okay? So now we're going into the AI things. Yeah, I'll go back and address that thing, what he says in the article. But we, we know we talk, he talk, mentions about Mike Wazowski um, in that. Um, all right. So we're going into the artificial intelligence side of progression. Okay? Leaving the animals. Okay. So... Um, it said, so he basically commits a genocide on superpowered humans, or does he? Buddy didn't have any powers. He used technology to enact revenge on Mr. Incredible for not taking him seriously. Seems a little odd that the man went so far as to commit genocide. And this is another addition. Side note, a lot of people have been arguing about where The Incredibles actually takes place because we see technology from modern times and the 1980s, even though everything has a 1960s vibe. This is cleared by Brad Bird, the director. Of course, Brad Bird from Pixar, right? Um, the director says that the movie takes place in an alternate 1960s, okay? So, which means that the movie opens in the 1950s, okay? Um, so that's uh, first time in, I'm reading this theory where it alludes to not our universe that we're living in, that uh, we're talking about um, where we're doing the podcast, but an alternate universe that ha- occurs, Okay, and there's other things later that he talks about that kind of support it. May, it's, it's a timeline in and of itself, but it's a different universe where something may not have happened that happened in ours, you know? You look confused. <laughs> I'm just wondering which version of an alternate universe we're on by now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, let me go ahead. I'll go ahead and continue. And how does he kill all the supers? He creates an Omnidroid, an AI killbot that learns the moves of every superhuman and adapts. When Mr. Incredible is first told about this machine, Mirage mentions that it is an advanced artificial intelligence that has gone rogue. Mr. Incredible points out that if it got smart enough to wonder why it had to take orders. Hey, can I point something out to you real quick right here? Uh, Bomb Voyage, one of the villains from The Incredibles. Yes. He he was in Ratatouille. He was in Ratatouille, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) this work out again <laughs> well i think he was saying well let's see he says in the 1950s hold on let me consult the timeline hold on a second let me pull that up all right so the incredibles it says 1950s 1960s um introduces the idea of self-serving ai with the omnidroid and everything else okay um bomb voyage appears in ratatouille right in 2007 which mm-hmm. made, would make him pretty old. He talks about this also later in the article, but I don't remember, I don't remember in what respect because he talks about it. Um, or I could be wrong. Maybe it was like an Easter egg thing. I mean, Mr. Incredible aged pretty badly from the point of you know, capturing Bon Voyage until present day. Right, right. Bon Voyage didn't age a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, okay, so let's see. Well, I'll kidding. Maybe it gets answered later on. Okay. Um, let's see. I talk about how he was the Omnidroid. Okay. Um, Mr. Incredible points out that it got smart enough to wonder why it had to take orders. 
So it got smarter than its creator, right? Mm-hmm. The Ami droid eventually turns on Syndrome, which leads us to believe that he was being manipulated by machines the entire time in order to wipe out the biggest threats to robot dominance, superpowered humans. The movie even shows clips of the superheroes with capes being done in by inanimate objects such as plane turbines, accidentally. Now, okay, that's cool. But I don't see that the turbines actually went after these superheroes. Well, I think that's what you're led to believe. But granted, you know, a cape versus a turbine, you know, as we've seen, the, the turbine's going to win. Yes. You know, regardless of you know, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's just a vacuum. But anyway, uh, some additions here. Interesting side so note. So again, a very down ending to a movie everyone loved that the, all the superheroes died. Right, right. At the hands of machine. I don't know who was building the Omnibots at that point once Syndrome was in prison, but... They, Maybe they were building themselves they're, because their artificial intelligence might have uh, advanced so. Who very knows? Terminator-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, very. Um, interesting side note. Someone suggested that Randall being sent back in time is what inspired Edna to create Violet's invisibility suit. Okay. Okay. Um, also, yeah, because the notion of invisibility has never been around. <laughs> right, right. Also, some have questioned whether or not Syndrome actually was manipulated by his own technology. Keep in mind that the movie strongly suggests it takes place before modern times. The beginning is set in what appears to be late 60s or early 70s, meaning the events of the movie must be in the late 80s or early 90s. Okay. Uh, this is a proper setup for Toy Story as we start see, starting to see the machines questioning their purpose in life. So he's talking about the toys, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's possible that Syndrome created this technology to become better than his idol. That doesn't explain his thirst for blood revenge. It seems he became consumed by hatred and leads me to suggest that the machine wanted him to use them to suit his needs, since they are his slaves after all. So this kind of tells me that at this point in time with Incredibles, the machines are starting to advance in their own AI to where they didn't really need their masters. Mm-hmm. The student was starting to, to, to defeat the master, so to speak. All right, so to continue on, um, let's see. Um, But why would machines want to get rid of humans in the first place? We know that animals don't like humans because they are polluting the earth and experimenting on them. But why would the machines have an issue? Enter Toy Story. Here we see humans using discarded objects that are clearly sentient. Yes, the toys love it, Uncle Tom style. (laughs) That made me laugh when you said that. Mm -hmm. But over the course of the Toy Story sequels, we see toys becoming fed up. But wait. Toys are inanimate objects aren't toys and inanimate objects aren't necessarily machines. So how do they have some kind of intelligence? Syndrome points to the answer. He tells Mr. Incredible that his lasers are powered by zero point energy. This is the electromagic electromagic. <laughs> <laughs> this is the electromagnetic energy that ex- exists in a vacuum. It's the unseen energy we find in wavelengths and a reasonable explanation for how toys and objects in the Pixar world draw power. Now, I thought the reason the inanimate objects were moving around was harkening back to the witch in Brave who had her broom doing her sweeping and the knives because it was all magic. Now it's from electromagnetic energy? Zero-point energy. Well, I think the the witch thing was tied in with the animal's advancement. Oh, so the magical... Okay. Yeah, because uh, I guess, because everything in there... He goes to point out sometime later that everything in her shop deals with bears. And um, so she deals more with the animal side of things and their advancement and their intelligence and whatnot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll explore more of this. We'll, we'll, let's go ahead and cut it here. 
and, and let this absorb a little bit, because there's a lot to this particular theory. And so maybe we can get some reaction to you from the listeners as well between now and next week. We're going to make this a two-parter, and we talk about the Pixar theory. We're going to do more research in this. Hopefully somebody will write in and tell us exactly where the witch disappears and everything else. Um, give us some insights to the things that we've read. Like I said, if you want to do the, if you want to check this out yourself, go to johnnegroni.com and check out the article, The Pixar Theory, or it's all over the internet now. You know, Facebook, uh, if you subscribe to The Chive or anything else, I mean, it's all, it's all over. You can find it um, pretty much anywhere dealing with this article. But we're going to discuss the rest of this theory, uh, the, other, the second half of this theory ne- on next week's Hub. So um, let, let's go ahead and cut it there with Zero Point Energy and kind of leave it hanging. And we can kind of explore this and let it marinate a little bit because this is a lot. <laughs> you okay over there? <laughs> um, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nutty. I admit it's it's it's, it's pretty nutty. But um, maybe next week a little more things will be a little more clear. Who knows? He's it's it, we're we're setting up everything here. So okay. Anyway, let, yeah. Let's go ahead. Let's get, cut this particular part of the hub, and we'll we'll revisit it even more so, and check out the second half of this next week. All right, man. So. Um, it's nice to hear that music this week, I think. Yes, after it, having, is. Uh, it very is. It's very soothing to the brain. Yes, yes. It, it kind of relaxes after what we just kind of talked about and discussed and read and everything else regarding the Pixar theory. Mm-hmm. But hopefully you guys have seen this and you've ch- I'd love to hear their listeners' comments regarding this theory if you've read it. If you haven't, do so. We're going to talk about it more next week and see if we can clarify more things. Um, but anyway, a couple of things from me. Uh, uh, if you want to write us, write us at magicrway at gmail.com. Uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Facebook, um, www.facebook.com forward slash Magic Our Way, or follow us on Twitter, at Magic Our Way. Ha-ha. Um, you can also follow our Keeks, our video statuses on keek.com. You can find us under Magic Our Way as well. Um, if you like our show, go ahead and tell your friends about it. Uh, do us a favor, man. Do us a flavor. <laughs> do us a favor and leave us a review in iTunes as well as a, um, a, a, a rating as well. You know, give us one of the nifty little ratings. You know, tell us how. You, t- tell everybody what you feel. You know, state your opinion on our show. If you enjoy it, we'd love to hear it. And if you don't enjoy it, you know, tell us how we can improve, how we can plus it. You know, whatever else. But. I want to give a big shout out last to uh, Bob of allinwdw.com for letting us use his content. Um, we first started uh, using his stuff and we talked about the buses and the new paint job. He took some great pictures of that, which he had on his website. Um, the website is allinwdw.com. Uh, he, he, the subtitle is It's All in WDW, a fun place to think about the world. And he's a big fan, a guy out of Atlanta, Georgia, hopes to one day be a cast member when he gets older and have his own name on a name tag and boy I share that same sentiment so maybe one day it's not going to happen for me right now but maybe one day when I'm retired from my normal job I can be down there and we'll be working this working at the same time Bob so um, you thank you for letting us use your content we'll probably check out his website man he's got a lot of great little articles um, with little polls interesting little things he talks about the, starting to talk about the food and wine um, a couple of things that he wanted me to uh, let you know. He's going to be. Uh, hold on a second. 
Oh, a couple of things you wanted me to let you know, man. Uh, the Food and Wine Festival live. Um, you, you're going to see him live on a show on Ricky's uh, live stream of Rick's Food and Wine Planning and st- uh, Strategy Sessions. This is going to take place on Monday, July 29th from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's actually this coming Monday. Um, you can go to, to his website, www.com, and he has links uh, leading to Travel with Rick. Rick does a Disney video podcast. Um, that you can find. You can subscribe to him. Check him out as well. But you'll be able to see Bob from this from his website again Monday, July 29th from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. So stay tuned. Uh, go to his website, click on the links, and you'll be able to see him talk about the f- upcoming Food and Wine Festival 2013. And also this Saturday, he's going to be participating in this, this Saturday, the 27th. He's participating in the Tables in Wonderland 2013 Epcot International Food and Wine Festival sneak preview special event. Uh, you can taste your way around the world, uh, which is coming up in about uh, in, a, in a few days. Actually, when we release this show, it's going to be actually tomorrow. Uh, so he's going to be up there uh, giving us, uh, hopefully give some reports. Um, if you follow him on Facebook uh, and also on Twitter, uh, All in WW, or on Facebook, he's Bob All in WDW. You can find him there. And again, he ha- on his website, he has links to those particular pages. Or you can subscribe on his, we- on, on his website. If you go down to the down bottom of the right, you'll see um, subscribe via email. And you enter your email, and then you're subscribed to his particular blog. And as he puts up posts and pictures and stuff of the upcoming food and wine as he samples, uh, you can definitely get a, a check out of that. I know I'm going to be watching that because I'm curious to see what kind of stuff that they're going to have uh, from this year's Taste Around the World or the, the Food and Wine Festival. So a couple of those events you want to make sure you check Bob at. But again, his website is all in www.com. All right. So once again, thanks, Bob, for all that, man. We hope to hear from you soon. And may I start keep on delivering us that great content that you got, man. I'll definitely be watching. And it's always, always love to participate in your polls. So actually, listeners, next time he has a poll up and you subscribe to his website, Next time you see a, a poll, man, start voting, all right? So we can get really good, accurate uh, responses here. We can get an even bigger test group because, we, you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't mind coming back to entertain us Epcot again and, and seeing who wins with a, even a bigger group. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we get his audience and then we get our audience participating, maybe we can even uh, get a, a little bit better. But I don't know. For all we know, Off-Kilter might win again. <laughs> 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 so anyway on that note man we're going to bring this week's show to a close man my name is Kevin and my name is Danny magic out a guy by the name of Bob that runs this put to oops excuse me <laughs> that's, a, a, that's a problem with eating I know eating while you're recording you get the burps uh, that might that might go at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, 